coming up on this episode of East Screen West Screen. The Me Too movement hits South Korea. Bollywood star Shridevi dies at age 54. Love TV's troubles continue. And our films this week, Patrick Kong's A Beautiful Moment and The Monkey King 3. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. And welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. I'm your host, Paul Fox, sitting here in sunny South Florida and coming to us from his news desk from the back end of a lion dancing lion is Mr. Kevin Ma. Gongri Fachoy! Gongri Fachoy! Yes, we're still... I think we keep saying this for two weeks, right? Yeah, we're still in the back end of Chinese New Year. We're not quite to the sort of pinnacle date... Which, if you're a kid, is or, or you're you're a, you're an overbearing adult like I am, is uh, <laughs> the fifteenth day, right? Because that's the day you actually are supposed to be allowed to open your red packets and take out your money. I know a lot of people do it beforehand because if you know when you're in Hong Kong during this time, you'll see lots of empty red packet uh, holders and envelopes on the ground that people have mm. discarded beforehand but <laughs> traditionally you're not supposed to open those until the 15th and I actually had got into a little bit of a, an issue with my parents as our children's grandparents because you know they're trying to you know be inclusive and they want to follow all the holidays and everything so they gave um, red packet money to uh, Zan and Emerson this year and but they wanted her to open it like the, mm. the, the, the day and I'm like no no She's got to wait. And they're like, why? Why can't, why can't she open it now? And it's like, I'm trying to explain them. Like, Mom, it's like giving her a Christmas present on December 10th, right? And letting her open it then rather than on Christmas Day. So, you know, finally I, I kind of got the point across that it wasn't just, you know, because they wanted to see her open it and everything. And I was like, eh, but we kind of want to stick to the tradition. Not that we're super superstitious, but we want her to kind of understand that, so. Yeah, I opened some of mine, and, and then I heard about the rule. I, I actually wasn't really aware of the rule, so I opened a few, but then, like, all my coworkers are talking about, oh, no, because I got some from work, and they're like, oh, no, don't open it until the 15th. They're like, oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> so I got a bunch ready to be open, and those would be good for a couple of meals. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm like 30 or there's something, you know, I can't, I can't be relying on that money to, to, to keep myself, you know put food on a table but still it'd be good to you know hey let's let's put some uh, spare change in the wallet you know that'd be nice but no i am gonna wait until the, the was it this week i think end of this yeah week? i think it's uh, this saturday i think it's friday friday or saturday friday, yeah, yeah i'm gonna wait till yeah wait till this weekend to to open it like a good boy good 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 so yeah we are you know and kind of enjoying the holiday still we had a nice big dinner gathering with some friends down in Miami uh, over the weekend, which was good, and the kids got to play, and all that was great. Been entertaining myself with lots of media, too, and I have to thank you, sir, 
for your mm. introduction of the Netflix show, or I guess should say reintroduction of the Netflix show, The Joel McHale Show with Joel McHale. Now, I'm fairly certain that at some point Netflix would have prompted this for me because this is kind of right up my alley. Um, this is basically The Soup 2.0, uh, as opposed not not which is kind of like Tosh 2.0 in some ways. But, um, <laughs> there's no Tosh, there's no Tosh 1.0, thank yeah. God. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, if you're somebody who's familiar with the soup or not familiar with the soup, um, Joe McHale, who's the star of things such as Community and, and some other stuff, he was the host of this program, which basically breaks down lots of our current pop culture, including really bad and really sort of off-center reality television i mean stuff i've never heard of uh but he goes internationally he looks at international shows he looks at youtube clips uh whatever wherever they can find something funny and and something to try and make a joke about and some people look at it and they just shake their head because the humor style is really not for them and i get that but this is something that was for me something that made me laugh for a number of years kind of in the mid aughts around the time you know when i was able to get access to this stuff in hong kong and kind of keep me up to speed on just how dumb u.s culture can be at times and and other cultures as well so i'm really glad but surprised that they brought this show back and kevin had posted a tweet about this and you said something along the lines of it's you know it's basically like the soup never ended um and that's great and i agree 100 percent that it's great that it's back and they're, they're following almost exactly the same format with, you know, guests coming on to do a silly plug. And it's going to be a weekly show. They have it dropped on every Sunday, which I also think is a great format rather than just like building up a whole season and, and dropping everything out. So it's something to look forward to at the end of every weekend. So, you know, again, if that's something that you were into, please do check that over on Netflix and good on Netflix for, again, diversifying content. If you would have said to me, I, you know, somebody's going to pitch the Joel McHale show to Netflix. I'm like, really? I don't think that's their thing. But apparently it is. And good on them for that. So, uh, and thank you to Kevin for, you know, making me aware of that early on. It was because because they were doing um, Chelsea. They, they were doing, trying to do talk shows. And they did the Chelsea Handler show, which I never was into, unfortunately. I, would, I, would have, I was the first to go, like, great, a Netflix talk show, awesome. And they were doing, I think, four times a week or something, three, four times a week. Unfortunately, I didn't, I didn't find a show very good. Um, I thought it wasn't very funny, so I kind of switched off. But you know, it's good. And, and now Chelsea Handler is, is quitting the show to become an activist. So um, Netflix, you know, use... The, 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 the soup 2.0 i'm calling it soup 2.0 i don't care what people call it i call it a soup 2.0 <laughs> using the soup 2.0 to to cover that 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 gap and i love this show i love it I, you watched the second episode already Paul? yes yes i have uh... yeah so the first so this new thing they added is that because the first show didn't did the furthest they went with the soup was uh making fun of telenovelas um, there was this telenovela they were really into, and they loved it. This guy with the funny mustache—I don't even remember—but now they're doing this uh, weekly international corner, where they go to uh, different look at different country TV of different countries. They, and are you talking about the Korean one with all the the, cur- the car yeah, crashes, or the one with the yeah, girl the- that always got lost? <laughs> kept losing her her, her her kid so yeah the first episode went to south korea the second episode they went to australia new zealand and yeah it's that's the new thing they added um yeah it's just a just a great 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 show i laughed so hard i haven't laughed so hard on tv for tv in, in so long yeah i mean the only thing that would maybe make my day a little bit more than them bringing back the soup is uh if they would re- revive uh some of the old cable shows i used to watch like uh x play which was this 
long-running sort of games review show with uh, Adam Sessler and Morgan Webb that I used to love watching. But I think that because of everything that's happened with, with the video game industry of over the past few years, that the kind of culture has changed now, and it's it's a very different thing. But also another show I loved, which is kind of similar to The Soup, and I think you know they they probably copied heavily from The Soup, but it was different enough to stand alone was Attack of the Show. Both mm. of those were on G4 TV, which became Spike TV, which ended up dumping both shows and showing a lot more wrestling, I guess, or, or <laughs> other stuff. But um, that show, while it did kind of follow the soup format, stand-up hosts in front of kind of a small studio group and showing clips and things, but they also did, like, current tech reviews and they'd make fun of popular geeky culture and have skits and segments and i really love that show too and so those three things uh, x-play attack of the show and the soup were the things that i sort of latched on to in the mid-2000s to try and keep abreast of what was going on with kind of u.s pop culture so that the fact that one of those has survived uh thanks to netflix i think is is pretty amazing um and again i'm happy to see this show come back all right, uh, we're not here to talk just about Netflix shows, though. We're going to be talking about movies and some movie news. So let me throw it back over to Kevin with this week's news. Over here at the news desk, a uh, couple of pretty serious stories this week. Uh, first of all, yeah, the Me Too movement has hit Korea. Of course, the Me Too movement has really caused a big a ripple effect across the world. And a lot of uh, women are now standing up to tell the world about their experiences uh, with sexual violence. And it has hit Korea pretty badly. Korea has, has a very male-dominated um, cultural industry. I mean, the society itself is very male-dominated. And now um, a lot of women are, are stepping up to make their voices heard. And quite a few people have now been uh, accused uh, of these mm -hmm. things. Uh, actually, the biggest example in the film industry um, recently was a female director, actually. But that story didn't come from the Me Too movement. That story was actually happened a couple years ago and has been dragged out for a while. The director's name is Lee Hoon Ju, and apparently a couple years ago, she had a uh, sexual encounter with her female roommate, and um, the roommate claims that it wasn't consensual, and she tried to sue the director to court. She took the director to court, and it took about two years, but finally in December, um, Lee Hoon Ju was actually convicted of uh, the crime, even though she still insists on, on you know, her innocence and that the, the the encounter was consensual and all that stuff um but yeah it was revealed that because um these cases i think the 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 people who are involved in the case are usually left uh the names are confidential but um her name somehow got out and um she has apologized uh, well she apologized for trouble but she still denies any wrongdoing but she is saying that she's going to retire from the film industry her 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 film a uh, love story is a lesbian love story and it was a big indie darling uh, actually in south korea last year uh so that was really one of the biggest examples but recently there have been more including a uh, stage director artistic director of a theater group named nihon nihon tech there's also, uh, of course, early we have director Kim Ki Duk, who was accused of coercing a, uh, an actress into doing uh, unscripted sex scenes and slapping her around. He was he was subsequently fined for the slapping part, but there wasn't apparently enough um, evidence to to convict him on sexual assault. 
Um, so he was cleared of that, but he was fined for slapping her, and he insists that it was because he was trying to um, instruct her how to act or something. It was like uh, something like that. Perhaps another big name that people might know is Odao Su. He's one of the two bit players or supporting actors in Korean industry that has been in like every single film, every big festival film. In fact, if if we are looking at by theatrical gross, he is actually the highest grossing actor in South Korea because he's in so many films. He he was last week, I think, he was accused of of sexual misconduct, but he has kept himself silent. He hasn't actually um, made any responses. The other actors have either apologized. There have been other actors that apologized or decided to go into sort of self-retreat mode for for at least some time and apologies and things like that. So it's a good thing. I, I think that woman making their horse, making their voices hurt is good and um, it's clear from a lot of these people who are coming out and, and apologizing means that there are a lot of soul-searching to do. I certainly hope that this will clean up the the film industries around the world uh, a little more it's just one of those things that's having this sort of domino or ripple effect you know across different industries it'll be interesting to see too because you know this is kind of like a pendulum it swings back and forth because not so long ago there was a lot of talk about directors like roman polanski and you know that stuff and uh, I think there was a lot of support for him, and now a lot of that support's diminished because of everything that's kind of happened of late and the way the winds have kind of changed. What I'm wondering is, when is all of this stuff going to actually start to filter over into content, right? Mm -hmm. So when are you going to suddenly get this wave of uh, Hollywood movies or Korean movies where the content is really centered on a, a lot of these kinds of things, these stories, uh, allegations um, and whatnot. And I, I've got to imagine that probably within the next two to five years, you might see a lot more of this playing a central role in content. I mean, it's nothing new. I mean, you can look at like Hong Kong films, like I'm thinking of, uh, what was the 2012 film with Joey Young and uh, Maglam uh, Diva, right? And, yeah. uh, you know, it's like, I think the Maglam character is a, as an up and coming singer, she gets harassed at some point uh, because, you know, she's trying to build a name for herself but she's not there so she's susceptible to the men who are in power over her so you know this stuff has been the subject of many forms of media over the years but i'm wondering if we're going to see a surge in this because it's so forefront in the news yeah and and of course here in hong kong we are wondering if it's ever going to i mean it kind of did there was a an athlete who came out and and talked about her 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 experience of sexual assault but it hasn't really happened to film industry entertainment industry yet this um and of course there are rumors and of course the most famous one being the uh the case where Karina lao um was abducted by gangsters and had her i mean uh, had her had her photos taken and those um ended up being published on a magazine on a tablet magazine i think a decade afterwards and that was probably biggest public case of of sexual assault um even though i don't, I don't think karina was raped but she i mean it's still a very traumatic experience obviously um but that also cost a lot that was a huge huge stir um in in the entertainment industry and i wonder if it changed anything i mean we'll know if the me too movement has will do anything here in hong kong I mean, it hasn't yet but um it'll be interesting to see if anyone 
anyone gets exposed for any any misbehavior or misconduct i hope if there is if those things do happen i hope that it does get exposed because you know i think that the the male dominance of the entertainment industry especially in asia i think it's 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 something that's happened too long i think that if if there are misconducts happening in those industries i think they need to be talked about and uh like i said i certainly hope that a cleanup is is on the way all right, next bit of news, uh, another really sad story. Legendary uh, Indian uh, Bollywood actress uh, Sri Devi passed away over the weekend. Apparently she was in Dubai for her nephew's wedding. And uh, according to Dubai police, uh, she has an accidental drowning in her hotel room after she lost consciousness. Sri Devi, she was um, actually a, a very huge, she started out very young and uh, she acted in about 300 films in multiple Indian languages and she is one of the biggest female stars in Bollywood. I never got to really catch her earlier films because she's quite an old school star but um, for me, someone who, who picked up Indian uh, Bollywood cinema quite late. The one that I remember, always remember, is English English, which was her comeback, actually. Uh, it was made in 2012, and it was actually her first acting role um, in about seven years, and in that film, she plays a housewife who has to give a, a speech at, uh, at a family wedding in New York, and while staying there, she decides that she decides to learn English to to one to prove herself to prove her ability to give herself motivation and also to to give the speech and i thought it was a very great film and she was very good in that i did also watch her final film i believe it's mom the thriller that came out last year i saw that last october and that was again very very powerful performance and that was a 300 film actually yeah it's it's sad um she was a great actress and i was looking forward to to seeing more of her her, her films as she steps into sort of a new stage of her career so uh, it's very sad that uh, she she passed away but if you do want to know why or what Sri Devi's done uh, I think English English is very easily uh, you can find that pretty easily uh, on iTunes and uh, I think Mom is also uh, available and her final final role is a cameo uh, I think in the Shah Rukh Khan film Zero that's coming out uh, later this year final bit of news this yeah. week you've got some news about uh platform La TV, which if you're not familiar, La TV is kind of like a China equivalent of an iTunes or uh, Netflix, kind of. I mean, they are they offer a streaming platform and they also offer hardware devices to hook up to your TV, right? Yeah, they were they were one of the most promising uh, video streaming platforms in China. Actually, uh, there was of course they also have Love Vision Pictures. Uh, so they produced the Tiny Time series. They uh, are also behind, I think, the um, the Lao Cheng One film, The Bill of Vanishes, and of course the Murder Man- Vanishes. They also co financed on that. They made a huge. Um, uh, overseas expansion a c- couple years ago, which includes opening an office here in Hong Kong and selling their OTT box. They were partnered with uh, 7-Eleven for a while, right around the time I left, where I don't know what they were doing, but like basically you could go into 7-Eleven and buy an La TV. It was kind of weird. Yeah, it was a pretty big deal. I mean, they also offered sports. Obviously, they did, like, I think English Premier League and NBA, and they were really trying to sort of hit the Hong Kong market. Unfortunately, they've been running into trouble the last year or two. Um, they stopped paying their vendors, for example, and it's been a huge mess for the company in China and in Hong Kong and in the U.S. And now the um, the Hong Kong court, the Hong Kong court has actually ordered 
the office to close down um, because you know they owe a ton of money. Yeah, they have about Hong Kong seven seventy million Hong Kong dollars of debt to to the people, the right holders. And and it was I think they I guess they sued their way into court and the court has ordered the office to close. Love Sports HK, which also has an office in Hong Kong, they say that there will be no impact on operations, uh, that they'll continue to hold sports content, but this cannot be a good... I mean, when your parent company's office is closed, I mean, it's hard to say, like, yeah, we're doing just fine. Yeah, we're going to do just fine. So I wonder how's that going to be. If you have a Love TV, if you have a Love TV device, if you're paying for a Love TV account, I suggest you start looking at alternatives. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I remember using the Love TV app early on, and always getting that message this content is basically blocked in your region <laughs> and my region was just a few miles uh south of the region it was supposed to work in but there <laughs> you have it you know bad news when you're not paying your vendors <laughs> i can yeah if you, if you're fine, i can tell yeah. you from experience because um, <laughs> my, my wife had a small business and she was uh partnered with what was the bookshop uh page one Right, uh, and they weren't paying her and a bunch of their under, other vendors, and before you know it, they're closed down. And what, what was the what was the gym too that did that? Uh, they basically just shut their door one day, and everybody lost their memberships. Um, California Fitness, California Fitness, I mean, yeah. But every every year, I mean, Hong Kong gyms shut down, right? There's always a small gym here and yeah. there that shut down, and leaving there. But that's a there, massive. I mean, that's a major chain. I mean, that's like yeah. And they, you know, they were it, between them and physical. You know, it, for a while it was the competition between uh, Aaron Kwok as the representative for physical and uh, Jackie Chan as the <laughs> representative for California Fitness. And, uh, well, I guess they like Aaron Kwok's abs more than <laughs> Jackie Chan's arms. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, California California is so big that when that closed down, it made my gym, because I used, the, so I guess, the third biggest chain, um, which is more expensive, which is why I signed up, because I didn't want the hassle of getting harassed by personal trainers. And 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 of course my gym all my all the branches of my gyms got 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 more crowded because of all the uh, people coming from coming in from California. Mm. Yeah, so that's how big it was. And of course, Love TV. Um, I'm sure it has a sizable audience here in Hong Kong. So I, I wonder what would happen if that closed down. But you know, the thing is, it's not like a gym, right? It's, just, it's not like if it closed down and suddenly my Netflix would get slower. So you know, I think I'm sure Netflix would happily absorb all those all that business. But d doesn't La TV have quite a few competitors when it comes to China-based streaming platforms? Well, here's the thing. Even like La TV Hong Kong, La TV in China, yeah, they have a lot of competitors. But La TV Hong Kong, the, all that La TV content that's playable in China doesn't mean that it's playable in Hong Kong. They still didn't have the rights for Hong Kong. So right. it's, it's not like I have to go to La TV in order to watch... Um, uh, a China movie, right? Because they still wouldn't have the local rights. It's still locked in, in China. So if so, um, them closing down really hurts. I think people who want who are subscribing to watch Premier League or to watch um, sports, and you know they 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 charge an arm and a leg for those sport sport uh, broadcast rights um, as they usually do. Um, so those are the people that are really in trouble because they are paying. I wonder if they pay like by the month or if they pay a year in advance or how many years in advance. But if if Little TV really does shut down, they lose all the programming. Subscribers are all going to be in trouble if they all paid in advance. All right. I think that's going to wrap it up for our news this week. When we return, we continue with our Lunar New Year coverage with Kevin's review of the Patrick Kong film, A Beautiful Moment. 
And welcome back. So it's Lunar New Year and it's time to finish our Lunar New Year coverage. So Kevin is up first with his review of the new Patrick Kong film, A Beautiful Moment. Yes, last week I previewed that I was going to dig my heels into this film and this I shall do. A uh, Beautiful Moment is Patrick Kong's first, is this his first attempt at a Lunar New Year comedy? I think it is. Um, I, I, as, as director, I guess. As director, um, I yeah. Think, yeah. I, think yeah. I think he wrote... I think he co-wrote um, 72 Tenants of Prosperity, I think. He produced Lucky Fat Man. That kind Which of, wasn't a... Yeah, he's, which, he's got a writing credit on 72 Tenants. Uh, yeah, so this is his first, first New New Year film as a, as a director. Um, and and it's an Emperor production, so obviously expect a lot of Emperor stars. But um, anyway, here's the story. An aging bachelor playboy, played by Simon Yam, who's also a ruthless uh, developer, finally meets the girl of his dreams, played by Michelle Wai, and proposes marriage, only to discover that her psychologist stepmom, Bo, Karina Lau, was his first love long ago. The future in-laws initially pretend not to know each other, but as the wedding date gets closer, the rekindling of long-dormant feelings develops into a cross-generational love triangle. I wish this story actually was told in the film. Because that would be great. Instead, it isn't. Patrickon does. It's complicated. It's kind of. It's complicated. It was um. I think it was a Nancy Meyer film. It starred Diane Keaton and Amanda Peet and Jack Nicholson. And the story is that Jack Nicholson falls in love with Amanda Peet, who is much much younger than. I'm, I'm not sure it was Amanda Peet, but I, I forget. Anyway, um, Jack Nicholson falls in love with a much younger woman, but ends up falling for her mom instead, played by Diane Keaton. So it's kind of that formula. And I guess that wasn't. Well, that's not a super original idea anyway, but it's still a pretty solid romantic comedy idea, right? Yeah. Um, but that synopsis above, that doesn't kick in until 40 minutes into a 108-minute movie. So, yeah, what what does the first 40 minutes do? They, st- they set up um, the, the characters with these long, long, long set pieces. So you have Simon Yan plays this super, you know whole land developer who was all like you know don't don't install toilets you know we want to make people in our mall because you know we gotta put in one more store and he is super greedy he got a long set piece making fun of that and then you have um so Bo, patrick kong has a long tradition of of using female characters named Bo. uh steffi tang had had the longest run as Bo in, in a bunch of films and here Bo is now karina lao <laughs> which who does not look like steffi at all so, so, okay. so this is like a universe building thing, right? It's like yeah, it's old, old Steffi. <laughs> I think it's like an alternate. It's like the Bow universes, not Bow universe. It's like every every films. You know, Rick and Morty. There was an episode where they travel different dimensions yeah. and they see all the different Ricks and different Mortys. This is kind of like yeah. that. It's like it's like Earth Two and Earth Five and Earth Two Thousand Ninety Nine. Yeah, it's like hey, this Bow or there's that Bow, all the Bows. Um, but um. Yeah, uh, so that's that's the continuation of the Patrick Combo universes, um, and it is a Lunar Year movie, so it's filled with these extended set pieces, and there's a lot of filler because the main plot, that synopsis I just mentioned, that takes up about thirty minutes of the film. The rest of ninety minutes is just like not ninety minutes. The rest, uh, I'm trying to do my calculation, seventy minutes. The rest is the other seventy minutes of the film. It's all, all just these extended set pieces. And the thing is, the problem is that those set pieces break a very, very simple script writing rule, which is every scene should move the story. Even if you're writing a crappy Lunar movie, you should go by that rule. Even also, Ends from 1997 went right then by that rule. Even also, Ends from 2012 
as crappy as it was, it went by that rule. Every scene needs to move the story, right? And it doesn't. So the film starts with these long title cards introducing a character. So it's like, oh, you know, Bo, psychiatrist, um, uh, pet peeves, whatever, loves long walks on the beach and pina colada, right? And things like that. And, and those flash by in like 10 seconds. But, you know, you have those in, for the first couple of characters. And then it just sort of gives up on that after 10 minutes. It, it stops introducing new characters. You, you lose that. It loses every every gag it sets up. And the problem is, is that, you know, there are all these useless characters. There's a whole side plot talking about Ivana Wong. Ivana Wong plays the second Michelle Wise sister. But then you have, she doesn't even like, her, her, her tie to the story doesn't even show up until 30, 40 minutes into the movie because, you know, there's this whole thing where she's actually uh, one of those secret customers uh, with her boyfriend, which is played by Alex Fong. And they there's a couple of gags with them. And then suddenly, then something happens and she has to go back to mom. And, and then, of course, that comes from, that's copied from previous New Year films where you have someone who pretends to be crazy, things like that. It was just like the oldest gag in the book, in the New Year, New Year comedy book. And, and these side stories have nothing to do with the main plot. The problem is that not even Emperor can call in enough favors to get bigger and better stars. Like I was talking about last week, you have Dale Wong, Agent Mr. Chang, getting names like Sammy Chang and, and Miriam Yeun and um, all, all of Dale Wong's buddies. Whereas the most famous cameo here is probably Joey Young and Patrick Say. Patrick Say shows up, of course, does his gambling, gambling, you know, master thing, and which is mildly amusing but not very funny. Instead, we get a lot of second and third tier stars that actually show up in Patrick Kong films anyway. And the sad thing is that most of these ca- most of the people in the cast are just trying way too hard. They're really trying to make something that's not funny make it funny. Uh, Philip Kern's performance, for example, he plays a rival real estate developer, and uh, but then that that plot never they so at, at first the Simon Yan plot sets up is that he has this nemesis who's played by Philip Kern, and he is going to buy him out, and he's going to be ruthless and all that stuff that gets thrown out the window. Philip Kern doesn't even meet Simon Yam in the main plot of the movie, even though it's supposed to be rivals. He just sort of has his own thing with, with, with Bo, and then and then they never... Yeah, the main plot where... Well, one of the plots where Simon Yam is supposed to make us like miserable never happens or never materializes. And he spends the whole movie just screaming. Like, screaming. I mean screaming. And just trying to make something funny, but it's just not funny when you're, you're, you're dialing up to 11. That said, Bob is actually a really funny guy. Bob actually is one of the the few few side actors, supporting actors that actually score jokes. And there was also a really great gag with uh, Simon Loy because Simon Loy is famous in Hong Kong. Um, I, a lot of people know him for 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 films outside of, well, I guess, in you know making B C cinema films, uh, C films in in Hong Kong. But he's also known for doing a lot of supernormal paranormal shows or supernatural shows, uh, talking about like haunted houses and stuff like that. People recognize him from like the movies right like troublesome night but yeah. he does like tv shows and yeah. i think he did some radio programs too right yeah yeah and i think they're all the whole super they're all supernatural paranormal stuff right i think so he's actually quite also well known in hong kong for that and you know it's rare to see simon Loy in a hong kong movie these days you know he he comes back once in a while he's mainly in china now so he, him coming back and doing bringing back his paranormal thing that's pretty funny uh, there's that one scene that's really funny, but that's about one of the five laughs that the film got. So with that said, aside from Simon Lay, <laughs> the only two people that actually leave the film with some sense of dignity are Simon and Karina. 
because they actually don't do that pandering stuff. I think I'm sure Patrick Kong tried to make them do the whole screaming comedy stuff, but they, they ain't having any of that crap. These people are real thespians, damn it. They're not going to eat into Patrick Kong's script. There's even a scene where... <laughs> you know, I'm sorry, but when you say thespian and Simon, all I can think of is passion. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's the thing. Simon and Karina have been in the share of crappy films, but even they're like, we're not going to lower ourselves to do a Patrick Kong script, all right? Let's face it. Even the scene, there's a scene where they have a sort of typical Patrick Kong-style lover's quarrel where they talk about the past and, they, you know... They they start you know um, talking about who did what bad uh, who who whose fault was something that happened in the past. But the thing is, what they do is that they're, they're sitting at a dai pai dong, and then just about to get into an argument, they have a, a, a sort of proxy couple in the back that does the argument for them. So they don't even have to get into that that Patrick Kong style crow. It's almost like it's almost like they're too good for it. So they're like, let's get someone else to read this crappy dialogue so they got this proxy couple in the back who actually is a cameo by the way just cameo by one of the 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 is the overweight actress from tvb and so she shows up in that scene doing the screaming for for karina lao <laughs> as the proxy patrick kong uh, style lovers curl actor so even they like this is too good for me this is too good for us we're not doing it and so it's hard to imagine that the reunion of the stars from gigolo and whore would come out the most dignified in this film. Really weird. Um, the jokes are not only unoriginal. Um, so I was talking about the scene with you know Patrick Say doing the card thing, and of course it's all done with CG, so it, it looks silly, not even funny, just silly. And then then I'm, Ivana Wong breaks into the God of Gamblers theme song, as it, it's supposed to be funny. They're all just really spoofs of exi- of existing material. There's not a single original joke in this thing. Um, and don't even get me into the technique. Patrick Kong recently, in recent years, he's done this technique where he would have the same angle, but then he would cut into different sizes of the shot. For example, he would start in a medium shot, and then in the middle of a line, they would cut to a, a perhaps a closer shot, and then they would cut to a closer shot in the same, from the same angle, within the same line of the same batch of dialogue, as if to create some kind of speed or pacing, whatever. And and that isn't directing. It's really annoying when you cut the different size shots from the same angle. I'm sorry, this is like basic film school stuff. You're supposed to notice. You're a director. Someone someone should have told you it doesn't. If you're not, if you don't even, if you don't even notice, this shouldn't work. Your cinematographer should have told you. Your editor should have told you. Someone who's getting paid to do this as a professional should have told you. That is not how you edit a movie. So no, it, it's just really annoying. Of course, yeah, and of course, Patrick Kong does this thing where he has to cut to a, whenever an event happens, he has to cut back to something that happened five minutes ago just to remind you, which also happens here, because like as if he's pandering to, just about the most, attention fickle audience in the world, as if you would forget. Um, it is it, just bad storytelling, bad directing, bad writing all over all over the place. Patrick Kong had a very solid story idea, even if it's not terribly original, but then he screws it up completely because he's too busy pandering to people that he doesn't need to pander to. It's like a really uh, unfunny comedian who just doubles down during a really terrible set. And that's pretty much like all Patrick Kong movies. Uh, and it's not the same. You know, it's you have one job, man. You just gotta make a new newer comedy that makes people laugh. And, and, and following basic script writing directing editing rules those are basic those those aren't even jobs those are like those are like basic requirements to get the job so it's not even part of the job and he screws those up so how do you screw up a lunar new year comedy watch this film 
this is how you do it. And uh, yeah, that's a beautiful moment. It's definitely on probably my worst ten of the year list uh, by the end of the year. And if it's not, someone slap my head or 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 I will probably go into depression because it's hard to imagine ten films that are worse than this film this year. Well, maybe Wine War. Wine Wars. I think Wine Wars are probably on this list. But you know, Wine War. At least I had more fun. I had more fun watching Wine Wars than this film, which is saying a lot. Does because uh, you did mention Bob, and last year we talked about uh, Lucky Fat Man which uh, came out just before Chinese New Year, but was kind of positioned as a Chinese New Year film, and how that was just not a good film. But it's unfortunate because Bob does have the potential there. I mean, he's a he's a funny guy, and given the right material, um, he can do some really good bits. He can do some drama, too. I mean, I'm thinking of the thing he did last year with, uh, uh, what was it, The Sunken City? Oh, the, yeah, the capsule, kissing capsule, yeah, the, or whatever. Yeah, right? the, the capsule odyssey. He, yeah. he was really good in that, and um, he had some funny moments too. So it's, yeah, I'm kind of, I kind of want to see this just to see him in it, uh, if not, if not uh, the the two leads as well. Bob doesn't annoy me, even though he appears in every film. The thing is, Bob is a really good supporting actor who gives a few gags and then he walks away. He's really good at that. Even what was the film? Um, Alpha Love, Alpha Lies, or whatever the new one what was the new one. I forgot what was Alpha Alpha uh, Lies Two. He was actually one of the best things about that film. He's really great. Uh, he's really great as a supporting actor. For some reason, he comes in, does a few gas, and he steals the show. But when he gets his own movie, it's almost like there's a Bob overkill. You know, like Bob overdose. And Bob overdose is a terrible thing. If you watch Lucky Fat Man, you would know. Um, and Bob is really good in small doses, sort of like crack. Um, so, so yeah, uh, I, and, and like I said, he's actually mostly funny here and it, it works, but like, and he's probably responsible for about three of the five laughs that I had. Um, and I watched this on New Year's Eve, so it's not like I wasn't in the mood for it. I was like, yeah, vacation. Yeah. New Year's. Yay. Right. So I was like ready to laugh. I was ready to sort of resign myself to having to laugh at a Patrick Call movie. And then I didn't laugh. And then I felt I could claim victory. So that's how it went. Yeah. Well, all right. There you have it, folks. Uh, the most traditional of the, I guess, New Year films that you will uh, get to see this year. And unfortunately, it's maybe not up to snuff, but uh, if you're like me, you'll probably watch it anyway. <laughs> yeah, you watch it anyway. I mean, there's no point. <laughs> all right. When we come back, we'll be talking about uh, the final of our New Year film coverage, even though there's still a couple other films that uh, are out there that we probably won't get to. And that is The Monkey King 3, Kingdom of Women. So, welcome back. Our final review this week is for the Soi Chung third installment of the intellectual property known as Journey to the West, a.k.a. The Monkey King 3, and on some posters, it is also subtitled as Kingdom of Women. It is not so subtitled on the ones, uh, or at least the listings they had here in, in the States. They were just listing it as 
Monkey King 3. The story here, continuing on their journey to the west, the monks Ranzang and his disciples Wukong, Baiji, and Wu Jing find themselves set upon by an angry river demon. While attempting to escape, the four find that they are cast into a place called Womanland. In order to leave, they must seek the help of the kingdom's young queen to open the enchanted gateway. But growing affections between her and Xuanzang threaten not only the journey to fetch the scriptures, but also Womanland itself. You've seen this one, right, Kevin? Yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah. 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 So this is based on one of the chapters from uh, The Journey to the West, and it, here it is referred to as Womanland. Uh, in other iterations, it is referred to as Woman's Kingdom. Um, in Chinese, it is basically called, um, in Cantonese, no yi guo, right? Um, the, the Kingdom of Women. So there are other iterations of this that have been done before. Um, it's one of the chapters that appears in some of the TV series. It is also one of the Shaw films, I think the last of the four Shaw films that were done in the 60s, um, specifically Land of Many Perfumes from 1968. They all have a quite different take on the Women's Kingdom chapter. The basic premise of the story from the the actual literature is that uh, the disciples and the monk end up in this place called Women's the Women's Kingdom, and the queen wants to marry Xuanzang, and the disciples need to get basically travel passes to be able to leave the kingdom. Um, you know, because it's, it's like they need a visa to leave. So what they end up doing is kind of trying to trick the queen by making Xuanzang agree that he's going to marry marry her and live there with her while the disciples continue on without him to complete the journey. Then kind of at the end of this, there's the traditional thing that happens in most of the chapters of any of the Monkey King stories. A demon shows up and wants to basically captures Wanjiang and eat him. Um, and in this case, it's a scorpion demon. So they take a lot of liberties with that story um, in the films. In The Land of Many Perfumes, you have... Um, it's it's almost like a Shakespearean comedy of errors because you have all these demons transforming into various characters, including some of the monks and the disciples themselves. And it's a lot of confusion because sometimes it's... You know, you're seeing the monk, but you're not sure if it's somebody who's transformed uh, and playing as him or not. And so, you know, it, it has that sense of what I call transformational hijinks going on in it. Um, and it can be fun. It's a very different take on this story. But that film had a bat demoness, a snake demoness, and the scorpion demoness, who's from the actual story, all competing to try and capture Xuanzang. And in that, Xuanzang was... The queen originally wanted him to marry her younger daughter, who was a princess of Womanland, and but then she decides instead that she's the queen, so she's going to do it. So there was kind of that added element, and it's just, again, a lot of crazy shenanigans. So here they, if you remember Monkey King 2, Director Chung already kind of used some of these elements. Um, he had a bat demoness, he had a snake demoness, and one other, I think like a porcupine or hedgehog who were the, basically the disciples of Gong Li's uh, white bone demon, right, character. So since he kind of already used them, I guess he didn't want to be redundant and use them again. And traditionally, only the scorpion demoness is in the Woman Kingdom story at the end. So 
here he changes a lot of things around. You do get a scorpion demon, but it's not a demoness. It's more like a a guardian monster thing, and there's a snake version too. It gives him something to fight kind of in the middle, but, you know, it's not... They're not, they're not really characters. They're just things, you know, CGI things to be overcome. Then what you have is the river demon, who I think comes from a different chapter that they kind of put in here as the placeholder and forms the thing at the end. You know, there's, there's of course, a big end fight that has to happen. So they, they're kind of mixing and matching some things around. The queen here is played by... Uh, young mainland China actress uh, Zanilla Zhao, who we've seen before. What have we seen her before in uh, Duckweed um, from last year? So uh, she plays the very young queen who ends up getting, you know, some, oh, love at first sight kind of affection with uh, Xuanzang. And most of the women here in Women's Land, in any of the iterations, they're all man crazy because, you know, they, they've never seen men, right? So it's like, oh, men, men. And, you know, and then, of course, the queen and Xuanzang being sort of the leads on each side, they are drawn to each other. And they still try and get this idea of, well, we've got to try and get out of the kingdom somehow. So there's that aspect. But really, it's a bigger play on sort of the emotional connection between these two characters. The um, River Demon touches in with a story with uh, Gigi Lang, Lang Wingkei, and a sort of a backstory that she has that kind of, again, brings everything full circle to, towards the end. But it's a very different film from The Monkey King 2, and not, not always in a good way. It does try to go for the kitty market a little bit more. In the middle, there's this animated map who kind of dances and plays pranks, and they're chasing after this map because they need it to find the way out of the, the women's kingdom. And all I can think of is, you guys are really trying to go after Monster Hunt, aren't you? Because, I mean, it's very much a Wuba-esque kind of thing that's going on on the screen. And between that and, and somewhere in the back of my head, and this is just because I have a five-year-old daughter, I could hear the Dora the Explorer map song kind of going off. So if you're familiar with that, you know, I'm the map, I'm the map. Um, if you got kids, you know what I'm talking about. So they're really kind of toning this down and making this a little bit more family-friendly than Monkey King 2, which was a bit more angry and a bit more disturbing at times because if you remember in that, I mean, it's basically you've got the king who's like bloodletting on kids and you've got the white bone demon and her demon minions and they're eating people and it's really one of the more darker chapters for this movie series. And it's meant to be because the, the stories are by nature dark in and of themselves because they're demons. So you have that, but here, I mean, you've got big sets, you've got a big budget, They've really come a long way from Monkey King 1, and this is in some ways even better than Monkey King 2, because um, I did a rewatch of Monkey King 2, and comparing it with Monkey King 3, I mean, the digital effects are amazing. You've got, you know, the, the big sort of graphic river monster thing looks great. The river demon who takes different forms, and I, I'm creating a term here that I want to call digitally androgenated. <laughs> That's not a word, I know, but... Uh, they're creating a digitally androgynous character here, kind of like the na <laughs> Navi, but even even less of gender specific than the Navi and Avatar. And I, Kevin had to tell me who it was because I, I was I was asking Kevin. I was like, Kevin, I saw a person's name on the credits, and I didn't remember seeing them in the film. Was you know what character? And Kevin told me, and I was like, Oh my gosh, yes! And then it like all came together because they really make it ambiguous. <laughs> 
with this character and you're looking at this character and if you know who the actor or actress is, you're like, ah, I see something there that I recognize, but I'm not quite sure. And then it all kind of clicks into place. So thanks to Kevin for clearing that up. But really, I mean, it's it's kind of weird and disturbing at the same time. Not Not from the sense of the story that they're telling. I have no problem with that. It's just from this almost uncanny valley kind of thing where your mind is working to place the face with this creature and you're like, ah, I'm not getting it. I'm not getting it. What What is going on here? It's an interesting thing to see, but the visual effects actually, I think, are a big step up from the second Monkey King film, which, you know, it, it makes sense because it's a couple years on, but they really put money here. The sets look bigger. They look better. They there are still a couple studio sets that look like studio sets, but they still have a lot more art direction and attention to detail than I think even the second film. And I really love the second film for all of the things that they did to make that film look so good from a visual sense. The one downside I have is the Monkey King costume itself. Not quite as good, I think, because in the second film, Aaron was angry monkey. You know, he was he was the early on monkey who was still disobedient because he'd only just started following Xuanzang and he was trying to do the right thing because he knew things that Xuanzang didn't and nobody was listening to him and if you know the story of the white bone demon story it's a common theme of the trickery that's going on Um, here he's kind of just along for the ride he's not the central focus anymore and I think because of that they toned down the costume a little bit and it just didn't look quite as cool for me. And maybe that's just because, for me, I prefer, you know, angry, ghost-busting, demon-busting uh, Monkey King more so than the more tame and docile and prankster kind of Monkey King that we get here. And it makes sense because, you know, at this stage, it's further along in the journey. So, you know, he's a bit more under the sway, I guess, of Xuanzang as they get sort of closer to the end of their, their journey. Uh, a couple other changes to Kelly Chen, who was Gunyam in the second film, does not uh, reappear as Gunyam here. Kingdom Yun has a small cameo role here uh, under a lot of makeup, but it's great to kind of see her. As I mentioned, Gigi Langwinke is here as kind of the big female star. Uh, she's not the queen. As I said, the queen is played by uh, Zanilla Zhao, but she's kind of like the regent of Womanland. Um, she was kind of in charge when the young queen's born and she has a lot of sway and her tie again her story ties to the overall narrative but she's not as fun or scene chewing as Gong Li was in in Monkey King 2 as White Bone Demon she's there she looks great they've got a big costume on her and everything Uh, but the, the thing is is the Woman Kingdom story is not quite as exciting I think um it's it's really one of the more heady chapters because it's about women and marriage and and duty and that kind of thing. And to take that and put that into a film, you either have to hijinks it up like they did in Land of Many Perfumes, or you have to try and get it more invested with the central characters, which they do here, pushing Monkey King Wukong himself to the side and making it about this love story. Problem with that, though, I think, is that they already did that in Stephen Chow's Chinese Odyssey. They, you know, especially the, the the second film really became about this idea of love and duty. And it handled it a lot better, I think, especially because the characters had time to build up, you know, the, the way they kind of do it with personalities being stuck inside and and the, the time travel and everything. 
it makes it a bit more organic that the characters would have these feelings and you really sense this this you know breakdown when it comes to uh, I love you but I've got this other thing that's even more important than I got to do here you just have these two characters who are kind of thrown together they're not together for too long but it's just the case that they really are attracted to each other and I just wasn't that invested in this idea between them uh, it's not it's not because of the performances necessarily I just think that the the, the timing of it just feels it doesn't feel natural um, for me but um you know, in short, I think it's a solid entry into the franchise. Much better than the first one with Donnie. Aaron's a much better Monkey King than Donnie, for my money. And, you know, that continues on here. Not quite as good as two in terms of, I think, the story itself. Because for me, I'm much more interested in the Monkey King than I am Xuanzang. Xuanzang is just a boring character. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, they, 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 they Stephen Chow made fun of this because... You know, he he knew that fact by, you know, putting Lockheying in the role and having him say stuff and, and you know, making it sound like a mosquito when he talks. And, and, and th- that idea is, I think people understand that, you know, this guy who just is sole, solely single-minded in his devotion to what he has to do, go to the West, get the scriptures, go to the West, get the scriptures, and is not good for anything else. I mean, he has to rely on demons basically to protect him the whole way. And that's their way of kind of atonement as it were that's always much more interesting so i'm always more interested when wukong or wujing or piggy you know are on screen and and doing stuff than a romance really with with Xuanzang. but you know if you are somebody who's enjoyed the series if you enjoyed the second one i think you'll enjoy this one again it's more spectacle more visual spectacle it's done very very well in that regard if you are interested in other takes on this as i said you can track down land of many perfumes in 1968 that shaw series the 60 series is still one of my favorite iterations and it holds up um you know pretty well it's it's fun it's colorful it's nice to look at there's a manga version too by artist uh, Wei Dong Chen. There are 20 issues in that variation. All of them are on Amazon with Kindle versions that are pretty cheap. They're like five bucks each. And I think the Woman's Kingdom story is in issue 13. And like this story, he makes some changes. He makes the romance between the queen and Xuanzang a little bit more heady, you know, because they're both really, you know, they're like-minded in, in, in terms of how they see the world and they talk about Buddhism and stuff. And, and that made it feel like <laughs> much more like a romance than this film had the ability to do. But that's a that's a, another great resource if you're looking for more kind of entertainment along the sort of Monkey King venue and easily attainable. The, the print copies are super expensive because they're still kind of in print. You can get second editions, but I think like the most of them are like seven or eight bucks and the first one is like 60 bucks. I don't know why the first issue is so super expensive, I guess, because it's the first issue, but they're all digitally available and easy to read if you have a Kindle or the Kindle app. Um, also should point out there is a mid credit scene for Heem Law who plays Wu Jing, which is great because it's funny and it gives him a little bit of what I call non-blue screen time <laughs> because <laughs> they actually let him transform out of the blue uh, makeup and, and partial bodysuit that he's wearing. And I thought it was great and just a funny little uh, cap on it. There's nothing beyond that at the end to sort of signify that there's going to be a Monkey King 4. Um, I don't know. I heard rumors, Wait, but I don't know if they're true. 
Um, so Kevin can talk a little bit more on that. So Kevin, perhaps not a huge Monkey King fan as much as I am, but uh, you've seen the film. What were your thoughts? Well, there was a setup for the sequel, wasn't there? They were like, at the very end, they were like on a boat and they're like, oh, look at that thing coming up. I hope he's not going to be there. Did you see it? That scene was in there. It, it was like, there's a fiery something, right? Yeah, they were like, oh, I hope Red Boy isn't there. So yeah, that's that's the next film. Hmm. The Fiery yeah. Mountain. The the one thing the one thing they did this in this which is weird because actually, you know, in, in the context of it, if you know the literature, Red Boy happens before they get to Woman's Land because there's a thing. The the, the one thing they do here, which is uh, I forgot to mention, is they do the pregnancy river, right? Which they didn't do in the Land of Many Perfumes because I guess it wasn't apt for the time, but um, the way that the women in Women's Kingdom, because there are no men, have babies is there's a river they go and drink the water from and they get pregnant. And, of course, our four heroes uh, happen to drink some water from this river and three of them get pregnant. I think in the book two of them get pregnant, but in this one, uh, three of them get pregnant and they have to then somehow deal <laughs> with the pregnancy. So there's there's a little bit of humor there with that. Um, but in the in the literature... There's something that they have to do to to get rid of the pregnancy, and, and they do that here. But the person that get, they have to deal with is actually, if I remember correctly, a relative of uh, Red Boy, right? And that's who they're alluding, at, alluding to for the next film. Um, but they've already dealt with Red Boy by this point. So, uh, again, as movies will do, they're swapping times and, and things around from the books, which is fine. Um, you know, and, and nobody's going to... It's not like Marvel fandom over here or DC fandom. Nobody's going to lose their guff because uh, they're not following the books exactly. Yeah, it's not like they're like going, oh, that's not part of the canon. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't because I have not seen a Journey to the West film that ends with them actually picking up the scripture. I don't know if you have. No, I haven't. Um, I have not. Because uh, I, I, I think it's time for that film. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, I I don't know. I think I I think we're I've been on on Monkey King Overkill um for the two since 2 years ago and they're still making them. So I don't know yeah. what why how long we're going to keep getting these things and when the hell will they finally get those scriptures. Um, it's and, about and the journey, like, Kevin. Yeah. It's about the journey. I get, <laughs> I get it, but even Lord of the Rings ended sometime, didn't it? <laughs> right? It only took 6 3-hour movies, but they got there. Yeah. Um, you know, the ring had to, the ring has to get to Mordor. They have to get to those scriptures eventually, right? And, yeah, but the thing is even when <laughs> And they got they got the ring in the fire. There was a still another hour of movie left <laughs> to go. Fine, I can still take the hour of movie because at least that tells me there's only one hour of Monkey King left. <laughs> I can do it. I can handle it, Paul. Um, so you know, I, I'm ready for this to end. Um, I didn't hate it. I mean, I really hated the first this franchise. I really hated the first one. Um, and and I was like, screw Monkey King. I don't want to see more Monkey King movies. And they made two more. Um, and I was fine with the second one. Uh, of course, it was all relative. So it was much. I was just happy that it was so much better than the first film. And here is it, it kind of dips back a little bit. I do appreciate the humor in the film. There's uh, more humor here, and um, uh, of course, there's that. I can think of several you know set pieces that are pretty 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 amusing. You know, there's a whole thing with the arrows where they 
you know, they're trying to, they're, I think they're getting executed. Yeah. But then, like, let's face it, these guys can't die, right? So, let's <laughs> do like, so, so it was funny to see how they, they deal with that. And um, so I appreciate the humor. But otherwise, like you were saying, like, Shuan's on falling in love with this. You're, you're, okay, you're second from a Gong Li. How do you top that when you do the, the Woman Nation? Instead, you get this young 20 something TV star. To yeah. follow Gong Li, they, they should have got Karina Lau for this movie. <laughs> they they should have gotten Gong Li for this movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they, they they kind of blew their load there. Like, oh crap, we're oh crap, we're doing woman the woman nation next. We can't get Gong Li back, right? Like, you have to get a kick ass woman, like a legendary actress, to really step up there. Someone legendary, and I don't mean Gigi Learn for crying out loud. That that plot came like straight out of Fish the Shape of Water. It's like the Shape of Water, but <laughs> Monkey King. <laughs> really weird. But of course, we know that we're made at the same time, so they can't be copying. But still, it's like Shape of Water. <laughs> it's Monkey King style. Um, it was very weird. Um, yeah, I didn't hate it, but I was just kind of bit bored i was like i'm ready i wasn't just ready for a film to end i was ready for a franchise to end i liked it the second film when they were dealing with a dynamic within the group but here it's like these the 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 guy with the superpowers are along for the ride which is really weird like they're kind of cast aside as as sidekicks and and we all know the monkey king is the main character right like guys like you were saying like steven chow knew this he made fun of this like this is why he he knew exactly how to tell the story and how to twist it, how to find humor out of the the inherent structure of the whole thing. Um, and even in, in Stephen Chow's later, the Journey to the West uh, stuff, we all know that, let's face it, the star isn't, isn't, isn't going to be the monk. It's about how the, the monk's dynamic with his rebellious, excuse me, with his rebellious student. And even the, the Demon Strike Back uh, plays with that uh, quite a bit. Um and and like I said, Stephen Chow knows how to handle the, the character dynamic within the set, the setting of the story within the canon. Like like I said, within the using that word again, you, within canon, he knows how to play the dynamics of it. Here, it's just sort of like, well, we know what we want to do, which is we want to talk about we want to make a love story, but we don't know how to make a love story with these sidekicks around. So we're just gonna you know make them side characters. And to me, that was really odd. But yeah, I I am ready. I know. They were setting up for a sequel, and so that means they're probably planning for more. And Soy Chang will keep counting his money until he becomes a billionaire. So, you know, just keep making it. I'll keep watching them. I have to. But it's not like I'm going to be any more excited about it than I was for any of the other Monkey King films. I'm, I'm kind of tired of it, to be honest. Yeah, there have been plenty. Um, you know, we again talked about Wukong. You know, I re-reviewed that last year, and I saw that recently during... Uh, the Christmas holidays, and with that, and uh, China, the Journey to the West 2, The Demon Strike Back, there's just been a lot of coverage in, you know, this area. And I get it. I mean, I know that the Monkey King is basically uh, uh, the Chinese parallel for a Superman character, or in some ways even like Thor, because they play a little bit in a few scenes with his uh, his staff, you know, and the similar properties that it has to kind of like, you know, Thor's hammer. And that's great. And I, again, am the biggest fan of the Monkey King and, and the Journey to the West stuff. But even I'm starting to feel a little bit of Monkey King fatigue. Um, I would be happy if they do another one in this series and be interested to see 
what they're going to do. But part of the problem we've talked about before with the Monkey King is that a lot of the stories are very redundant. And I think that's why they made changes and they went in the direction they did because, you know, it's like every location they go to, there's some demon who wants <laughs> to capture Swan Zong and eat him. And then the Monkey King's got to go in or Piggy's got to go in and, you know, or Wu Jing has to go in and, and basically strut their stuff. And as powerful as the Monkey King is, when you get to this point, you just are sitting there thinking, why isn't the Monkey King doing something? I mean, he's basically Superman. <laughs> why isn't he doing something? <laughs> and it's fine. They sideline him and they do try, try to throw the humor in to make up for that fact. And it's fine. It's entertaining. It's just, um, again, I think not quite as interesting because of that love story focus. For me, you know, other people... Uh, may really get into it. But I think your point, you're, you're spot on with your point. I mean, Zanella Zhao is not a big name. I mean, she's a up-and-coming actress, sure. She's very attractive. She handles the material fine. But she's just, you know, I thought it, I thought initially that this was going to, they were going to do what they did in Land of Many Perfumes, right? Where Gigi was going to suddenly be vying for the affections of Xuanzang. But then that's like a reverse May-December romance kind of thing because she's obviously... A uh, bit older than the actor playing um, Xuanzang, who is it? Uh, William Fung, right? So, yeah. um, and then, but then, who do you get in in sort of the William Fung generation? Um, that's really going to be the equivalent of Gong Li. You really don't have anybody, right? So you've got to go with somebody who's a youngster, I guess, because you know, Mini Yang, baby, Mini Yang. <laughs> well, yeah, no, Angela the, Baby. There you go, <laughs> Angela Baby is the queen of. <laughs> yeah, but her husband says she can't act well. So <laughs> that's what he said. I'm not. That's not me, people. That's what he said. Ouch. Okay. Why um, would she hurt Angela Baby? Yeah, no, don't must, don't diss the baby. Nobody, okay. Nobody puts Angela Baby in the corner. <laughs> Listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Visit Kongcast.com for more. And you have been listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Our theme music was composed by Rob Jabor of Schnauzer Radio Orchestra. Research has come from a variety of sources, but primarily lovehkfilm.com and the Hong Kong Movie Database. And we, of course, get a tremendous amount of moral support from listeners like you. If you'd like to be part of the show, please do get in touch with us via the website at Kongcast.com. That's K-O-N-G-C-A-S-T.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Kongcast. You can find us on email at eastscreen at gmail.com. And you can find us on Facebook at East S West S. As always, please do follow along with uh, the original monk himself. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Kevin. <laughs> Uh, and all that he does when he is uh, journeying to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south to find, not the scriptures, but to find good movies and things to talk about. So, sir, where can they find out more about you? You can uh, follow me on Twitter. I'm at the Golden Rock. That's one word, the Golden Rock. You can um, read my website, which has been updated again for a long time. Uh, it's asiaincinema.com um, or Facebook. Uh, Asian Cinema or Twitter Asian Cinema. I will be traveling to a couple of film festivals um, 
uh, in the coming weeks. So I might be able to log into the Facebook and and uh, the Facebook, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> the Facebook page of the website and give a few updates on the films I watch and what's going on and things like that. It should be much easier than updating a post or something like that. So I, I would try and do that. Um, <clears throat> and you can read me on Discovery Magazine and on uh, Silk Road Magazine. They're on Cathay Pacific Airways and on uh, uh, Cathay Dragon. Uh, the March issue is coming up. Um, I write about uh, for World Film Club The Square, the Palme d'Or winner. Um, and I also write about uh, Detroit, the Catherine Bigelow film, or I also write about the new Star Trek Discovery series. Uh, you can see all those when you fly uh, Cathay Pacific. Please fly Cathay Pacific <laughs> and Cathay Dragon. Um, a very quick shout out to um, a reader who actually emailed me through Asian Cinema, not through uh, not through the, the podcast, but Lorenzo from Berlin. He's put together. Um, a pretty impressive program uh, in Berlin, a Hong Kong cinema program called Splendid Isolation. Hong Kong cinema, 1949-1997, featuring a lot of classic um, Hong Kong films, uh, including The Love in Turner and Come Drink With Me and Woman of Romance and Peking Opera Blues and Chinese Ghost Story and all those kind of st- uh, films. Um, and they're all playing in Berlin, I think, um, over in... Uh, I'm trying to look at the dates here. They're in March... Um, pretty much throughout March, through March, all month of March in Berlin, if you're in town or in the area, um, do check it out. It's called Splendid Isolation. I have no idea why it's called Splendid Isolation. But yeah, um, do check out that program. And I know Lorenzo's worked very hard in that program. He asked um, a lot of people for advice, including the people in the Love Exchange Film Group, um, including myself. And unfortunately, I wasn't too uh, much of help to him but i'm glad that he's put together a program and um i'm more than happy to give it a shout out here and we're in europe um i highly encourage you to check out that program all right excellent and please do check out our friends over at the podcast on fire network as well and all the stuff that they're doing our next show episode 251 is actually going to be uh, with the founder, uh, one of the founders of that network, Mr. Kenny B, uh, as we explore Hollywood on Hong Kong once more with our episode on the television miniseries Noble House, the follow-up to, in in literature terms, the follow-up to James Clavell's uh, Taipan. So he sat down with me, and we talked about that six-hour-plus-hour miniseries uh, in depth, so I look forward to that. On our next true episode of the East Green, West Green podcast, uh, 252, which will be, I guess, in a couple weeks, what do you think we'll be talking about? What's on the horizon in sort of the post-Lunar New Year film verse? Well, this week here in Hong Kong, we get Dante Lam's Operation Red Sea. But um, like I said, next couple of weeks, I'll be traveling uh, to film festivals where there will be new Hong Kong films. Uh, there will be a world premiere of uh, a film called New Turn, which is... Um, directed by my uh, someone from my film school, uh, sort of a friend of mine, um, Doris Yvon, and definitely premiering at Cinema Asia in Amsterdam, and then I'll be flying over to Osaka, where there will be the world premiere of Chongying Street Number no. 1, the new film by director Derek Chu. I know I haven't heard that name in a while, but um, yeah, he's got a new film, and that's going to premiere over there in Osaka, and I'm going to try and check out those films. Um, unfortunately, no no Steffi films this year, those festivals, Paul. No Husband so Killers, too. too. No Husband Killers 2, unfortunately, nothing like that. Um, so I'll be watching a couple of those films, and of course there'll be Hong Kong stuff coming up, um, including Girls 2, which I am happy to say I'm going to miss in cinemas. Is, is that Girls with a dollar, a dollar sign? 
<laughs> no, this is the proper one one, unfortunately. Oh. I wish there was a Kenneth B, a sequel to the Kenneth B film. Yeah, I'd, I be, wish. I'd be looking forward to that. Um, yeah, no, there's, the, there's a sequel to the Robert Wong girls, not the Kenneth B girls, mm, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah, I guess for your disappointment, Paul. Um, so yeah, that's that's coming up on the horizon, uh, which we'll cover in a couple... And of course, there's also the Hong Kong International Film Festival, which starts um, on the 19th. Uh, and we could talk about choices, the, 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 the selection from that festival as well. Yes, indeed. So lots of stuff on the horizon, and we'll be getting back in touch with Kevin either at some point during his travels or when he's back so all of that and more on our next show until then this is the East Screen West Screen podcast saying may all your moments be more beautiful than Patrick Kong's A Beautiful Moment and we'll see you next time see you next time everybody